Hey, welcome back to the Great Date Guide podcast. Um, today is kind of a sticky one. I, I think we're, we're going to be talking about um, how at least one church handles gay youth inside of the church. And I specifically chose this subject because I find it to be challenging and kind of like almost paradoxical on the surface. And with me today is a really good friend of mine, uh, a guy that I've known for... Man, ever, ever since elementary school, I think. Um, his name is Elliot Sue, and he's an ordained pastor. He's got a master's in counseling. He's overall a stand-up guy. That's, those are my opinions. But the rest of the facts go that he studied sexuality in graduate school. And he used to lead a group of gay Christian youth in a conservative church setting. So if there is an expert on this subject, um, I would say it's him. Um, is there anything you'd like to add uh, or just kick us off on? Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful to be here. So thanks a lot. Great date guy for having me. Um, and uh, I do want to say that my the, the things I'm going to say here, my position, my views, uh, they don't necessarily reflect any official stance in terms of Christianity or conservative Christianity, because there really isn't a, a cohesive position that we have on this. Uh, we're, we're sort of as we go. Uh, but I, you know, my, my job, my, my hope is that I can do my very best to, to love people well, to, um, to respect them as individuals, to show them they matter. Uh, do it in a way that is faithful to, um, to my beliefs as a person of faith, that we ought to live according to um, the way God wants us to live. Uh, I believe that if I'm living the way God has asked me to live in the Bible, it is the very best way that I can. Um, so my role as a pastor is to help people live the very best way they possibly can, which would be um, using the Bible at the base of what they do. Mm. Actually, that's a really good disclaimer. And, and this is a valuable time for me to point out my own beliefs that I don't specifically believe in God, but I believe that what Elliot does as a human being and for his community is something that I, I strongly value. I see that the church has a place in society, although I don't follow with many of the beliefs, or at least some of the beliefs rub me the wrong way. But that doesn't mean that we can't have a conversation about this. And I, I think you also pointed to something that's pretty useful to remember here. I know initially from the outside looking in, I sort of saw Christianity as this monolith, as a united front, a united front. And as we got deeper into it, you explained to me years and years ago how like there were different factions of Christianity that were basically like at war with each other, was, which was mind-blowing to me um so yeah I, I think those are all valid disclaimers and is there anything else you want to throw in before we get started yeah i mean at the end of the day um as you said my my hope is that we can just have a great talk and um you know my goal isn't necessarily to to convince anything or to tell someone this is what they ought to do um, but rather to express my experience in, um, in, in this kind of work, working with people um, who are sexual minorities, who've been mistreated by the church, who've been marginalized. Um, and then also to help us understand that um, there are guidelines that are helpful for us in our daily life, and we don't want to just toss those out either. Beautiful. Well, it's an honor to have you here. And I guess if I were to start, the first question that comes to mind is like, how do you how do you balance 
those two things. Like, I know that your stand as as a, as a master's in counseling, as a pastor, is for your flock, for your people, your community, and I think empowering them and loving them. And and sometimes within at least within some factions of Christianity, there's this level of like treating people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, etc. As less than or as sinners, and I know that there have been a variety of explanations for this, but I'd be curious how how it works, or how does how does that fit into your worldview? Yeah, yeah, um, I think you hit the nail on the head. Where um, as I've been interacting with my my LGBTQ friends, family members, loved ones, um, a theme that is always present is um, a history of pain with how they've been treated by uh, particularly the conservative church um, and the church in, the, in America that, that, uh, that displays uh, conservative positions uh, with feeling like they don't belong, feeling like um, their struggles are worse than someone else's struggles. Um, and I do think it is a problem. Um, one of the things that I, I say sometimes um, as I'm talking or teaching is that we like to condemn people who want to sin differently than we do. Mm. Uh, and, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I, I want to do things that are bad for me to do that are going to mess me up ultimately. Um, and someone else wants to do other things that are, that are going to hurt them in the long run. But I can condemn them while at the same time, you know, turning a blind eye to my own issues. Um, so I think, um, I think it does need to be acknowledged that there has been a history uh, of mistreatment, of marginalization, of telling people that you are worse because of your attractions. Um, well, the fact is, we're all in the same boat in terms of all of us sometimes want something that we, sh- we shouldn't have because it's, it's going to harm us in the long run. Um, so, I mean, one example is, um, you know, straight sin tends to be, um, you know, okayed while, while gay sin isn't. Let's put it that way, using, using those terms. You know, if a straight guy is looking at porn, it's like, oh, you just try harder, stop it. And, you know, if you feel bad, that's enough. Um, let's say though, someone, someone has gays, oh man, you know, we gotta, we gotta do these interventions, get you off the, any leadership you're in, um, like that. And it's, it's a, it is a double standard that shouldn't be in place. Mm. I, I had actually never recognized that that was a thing, but I, I suppose from what I've seen, you're right. There is like a difference in the severity of the reactions, um, and why do you think that is? Um, I think that, well, I, I think, yeah, I mean, some of it is we, we like to count hard on sins that we don't struggle with because then we feel better about ourselves. Um, mm. I also think as, as people, um, we, we like to group ourselves into people who are like of our tribe and our position and people who are of the outside. Um, if it's race, if it's sexuality, if gender, um, we like to form our teams, and then, um, you know, say who's in and who's out. And this is a, a very easy way for the church to say who is in and who is out. But it's not a biblical way of saying who's in and who's out, because, you know, Jesus offers, offers redemption and hope to anybody, regardless of who they're attracted to or how they view themselves. Hmm. I, I think, um, I think this is, this is cool and in a great way of of taking on what I, I think, at least to me, seems like a challenging issue, um, something to grapple with inside of the church. Um, how does how does the church 
Mm. Or at least from your experience and what you've seen, like how do people deal with the notion that they're, what they're attracted to is a sin and if they have sex with someone of the same sex or something that's different from the the norm, I guess. Um, and I don't want to use the norm, but maybe the average, let's say the average, um, that that's inherently sinful, like that what they're drawn to is is not not good. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, how, do, how do they how do they reconcile um, or, or think about themselves um, with with their attractions, with their sexual desires? And how does that fit in with the church? Um, and again, I, I do want to say that my position, I don't speak for Christianity as a whole because no one really can do that. And, um, you know, there are there are many, I think, uh, I, I'm going to, for lack of a better word, showing my own biases, say there are many balanced Christians who thought this and will have a more position as me. Um, but that's not always what we see either. You are, sometimes we see people who are very well-meaning, who understand the Bible, who love people well, who come up with a different position. And that's okay too. Uh, but um, the way I, the way I've, I best understand it um, is that God has given us in the Bible standards for how we ought to live. Um, and ultimately those standards are for our benefit. Um, you know, going to the way as I kind of think about it, I have a, I'm a parent, I got two kids um, and I give them standards for their behavior. And sometimes it makes sense to them. Sometimes it makes no sense to them at all. Sometimes they can understand why, you know, set limits on what they can and can't do. And sometimes they just think I'm, you know, being arbitrary. Um, and I do my best to not be arbitrary. But, um, you know, my worldview, um, if it says that it's such a God that is, you know, loving and kind and powerful, it will make sense that sometimes he does things that I don't understand. Um, now, one of the things that I don't always understand is the way he has placed uh, limits on sexual behavior. Um, this is for gay and straight people both, for, for bi, uh, transgender, lesbian. Um, however you'd like to, um, to self-identify, there are limits um, that I would say are biblically based uh, for those who care about the Bible. Um, so, you know, there, uh, there's, a, there's a level playing field where sin is sin. And ultimately, I think this is where a lot of Christians get hung up on. It's not about what I want. It's about what I decide to do. Um, we often will get mixed up and will conflate attraction with action. Uh, another way of putting it, if you want to have more religious terms, is we'll, we'll, um, we'll confuse temptation with sin. They're not the same thing. Um, I can want something, but not be blamed for wanting it. I decide what I do with that want. The Bible tells us in uh, Hebrews that Jesus went through every temptation that we did. Uh, he went through all the temptations. He, he, he's been tempted sexually. He's been tempted. Uh, he's, he's wanted to, to hate people. Um, he's been tempted by fear and doubt. Um, any, any temptations we have, he's had. Uh, but he's gone through it perfectly by not sinning in the midst of those temptations. So the model we have is acknowledge like, hey, temptation is real. It's not my fault, and I get to decide what to do with it. Um, so sometimes Christians will say, oh, you know, you're, you're tempted to, uh, with, with these particular sexual desires. Uh, therefore, you're worse and you're sinning. And that's not the case at all. Rather, you know, I'm tempted with a set of sexual desires, so I say, okay, what am I going to do? How do I 
be faithful and follow Jesus, knowing that this is, these are some desires I have. Hmm. I like that there is a distinction there. Um, although I, 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 mm, I have some challenges with the base premise, but I, I do like that this is pointed out um, because I feel like the minute that I start condemning certain behavior in myself, it tends to show up more. Like one of the things I used to struggle with was like cutting people out of my life when they were upsetting to me or like there was too much strain in the relationship. I just like disappear. And once I started slowing down on that, I also began to view that as a, a bad behavior. And then I started cutting people out of my life who started exhibiting that behavior. So it was like, oh, there's no escape from this cycle as, lo as long as I treat it like something that's like morally bad. So I do see that there's a value in separating, hey, there's a thought that happened, but it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Your actions are what determine that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think it's, it's about what we decide to do. Um, and then something else that I think that we often get hung up on is I think Christians sometimes forget um, how we ought to treat Christians and how we ought to treat those who have no reason to, to follow, follow Jesus, to follow what the Bible says. So um, Christians have sort of viewed themselves as the de facto cultural, de facto culture police. And uh, we expect those who have no motivation to live according to the Bible to follow our biblical rules. Uh, and that makes no sense. Uh, so I, as, a, as a pastor, I, my, my hope is that um, love and compassion is what, what guides me um, as I interact with those who are outside the church. Um, and you know, not expecting them to follow any kind of behavioral standards, but rather to, to understand who they are as a person, to figure out what their needs are and see how I can serve them um, so that they will know the love of Jesus. And then someone who decides to follow Jesus, then my goal is to help them do that by teaching them, here's what Jesus wants us to do. Um, so I think Christians get mixed up and they, they see folks who are um, not living according to the Bible and they get on their case about it. Um, which is not what we see Jesus doing at all. Jesus spends time, particularly with those who are doing um, what are viewed as a religious focus, you know, the, the worst sins, like the tax collectors, the prostitutes, he'll hang out with them. Um, and then when they decide to follow Jesus, then he's like, okay, you know, here are my teachings. So it's, uh, we, we get that flipped. Hmm. I, I do like that this is a distinction that you've created um my next natural follow-up question was going to be like like how does someone who is gay operate within the structure of christianity and and the only thing that i can see there is just like a voluntary celibacy but i also see too that there's a choice in deciding to participate in the structure of church if they've chosen that path then they begin to see what that entails and there's no one twisting their arm per se to participate in that it's just if you choose to be Christian and also be gay, then that appears to be the path ahead. Is that sort of accurate as far as what you're expressing as well? Yeah, I think, I think you, um, you got a good picture of it. I mean, it's, um, this is something that I would like to have a conversation with God about when I get to heaven of like, Lord, how come reality is structured this way where it, it does seem as best I can tell in my imperfect understanding of reality um, that, that the, the place for, for sexual expression, and I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna make everyone mad at me and say this, the place for sexual expression is marriage, if I'm, if I'm attempting to be biblical. 
mm. which, you know, I don't expect people to all attempt to be biblical, but as a pastor, I, I need to. Mm. Um, and the, the, the way that God has created marriage, um, we found that in Genesis 3 and repeated actually by Jesus when he's questioned about marriage in, um, let's see, where does he say that? In Matthew 19, um, it's, it's a man and it's a woman forever. Um, and that's, that is the goal. Uh, that is the place for, for sexual expression, sexual activity. Um, so if that is the case, uh, which, you know, not everyone will agree with me and you're allowed to disagree. That's fine. Um, this is just where I'm, where I'm coming from as a pastor. Um, if that is the case, then if I am unmarried, then my, my attention is not towards, you know, sexual activity. I'm, I'm rather, I'm not practicing sexually. Um, so that means that, you know, if I don't get married, then I live a, um, a celibate life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is where people, you know, usually pull out their pitchforks, but that's okay. <laughs> you, you can live how you want to live. Um, my goal isn't to, to get anyone to do anything, but rather um, to, to do my best to, to teach what the Bible is saying, because that's, that's my role. Yeah, I, I think that this is an important distinction, too, because there is a line in the sand. Am I, am I judging Christian people for having these beliefs and trying to force it down other people's throats? Sometimes, but I, I also have to remember that, like, there's that element of those who are Christian have selected to be Christian, and no one's there against their will for the most part. And there are there are there are minority populations that that do get thrust into that position, and that's that's pretty unfortunate. Like, I don't like yeah. the aftermath of that, but mm. I can also remember that, like. For the most part, the people who are attending believe in those things, and they're they've signed up for this. This is their choice, and if at any point they decided that it wasn't their choice, there would be the option to leave as well. Yeah, and I, I definitely do understand the um, that statements like the ones I've made do invoke hostility sometimes because um, Christians have done such a poor job of loving loving those outside the church and even loving those inside the church who mess up. Um, so. You know, I'll be the, the first one to admit that you know, anger and, and pushback uh, makes sense. And I, I definitely, um, I've even felt some of that myself, the ways that uh, I've been treated and people I care about have been treated by those in the church. Mm. Mm. Um, would, you, would you be open to elaborating about that? Or is that something that is better kept private for the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it really does come back to... Um, we, we like to get on the case of people who sin differently than us. Um, so, you know, if like I've seen, I've seen multiple times where, you know, someone will condemn someone's behavior and then they themselves are no better in the way they sin. They just sin in a different way. Um, we see, you know, Jesus actually, he talks about this when he, um, there's a parable of a, of a, of a king and the king's two servants. And um, one of the servants owes the other servant a debt. Um, and then uh, the servant who's, who's owed a debt, he owes the king a huge, um, much, much larger debt. So the king forgives that servant, but then the servant takes the, uh, servant, the, his fellow servant to court over the debt. And then the king finds out and gets all mad and throws the, uh, the servant who was forgiven into jail. Basically, look, God's decided to forgive you of your sins. Why are you so condemning of your fellow servants? Uh, that's the way that I... I think we ought to be. It's the way that God's asked us to be, but we don't write. Hmm. 
I'm appreciating your approach to this. I find, at least in my experience of it, it, it feels like you are taking this mindfully and, and willing to express this as, hey, these are my worldviews and you're allowed to have different worldviews. And the act of non-condemnation, I think, has this landing differently than a lot of Christianity that I've ex been exposed to in the past where it was more a matter of, hey, you're wrong because you believe differently. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really appreciating the energy. And and I, I think that, I know this isn't as quite as related, but one of, one of the questions that's always been in the back of my mind is, and, and no doubt you've already dealt with this quite a number of times, is it, just the idea that if I have an all-powerful, all all-good God that can see into the future, that knows all things that will transpire and that have transpired. Like, how do you, how do you rectify that with the sense that he's created not only good, but also evil, knowing the way that it's going to play out? Like, I don't know. It, it kind of, it's like a gear or, or like a wrench in my gears every time I try to think through that process. Cause it seems maybe maybe just on the surface that it's so at odds with like how a being of that power and wisdom and goodness would operate yeah no that's a great question and this is um the the question of the problem of evil right if there's a oh, you know good all-powerful um all-loving god who knows the future why is there evil and suffering uh, why do good people suffer why does it appear that there's pointless needless suffering even i think that's a question that um, Christianity has struggled with throughout its entire history. Um, it's a question that the book of Job touches on, actually, in the Bible a bit, where he never um, finds out the reason. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with the, who aren't familiar with the Bible, uh, Job is basically a righteous man, and he loses everything, loses his health, his wealth, his family, um, and his friends show up, and they're like, you must something wrong. He's like, I don't think I did, um, and he didn't. And he never finds out why. Wow. So that's comforting, right? Uh, no, the big picture of Job is uh, God's in charge. <laughs> Thanks, God. So helpful. Um, but uh, here's the Bible also tells us more, though. Um, it tells us that as we suffer, God, God counts our um, It tells us that in Psalms. It tells us that um, he, there is nowhere we can go beyond his sight and his help. Uh, so here's sort of the way that I think about it, and this is sort of a historical answer to the problem of evil. I don't think it's always completely satisfying, but at least it helps me from an intellectual perspective uh, to sort of pull up someone who's in the midst of pain because they don't need answers. They need a human presence. They need compassion and they need, they need love and empathy. But, you know, if, I, if I'm able to take a step back from myself and I need to rationalize it and make sense of it, um, I ask myself, well, why do I think this bad thing is bad? Someone is suffering. Why is that? Bad? You know, let's say that a party was just by law enforcement. Why is that bad? Um, you know, someone was just mistreated sexually against their will. Why is that bad? We could all say these things are bad. But why? What is my standard for right and wrong, for good and evil? If I have a a morality or not, if I don't have a 
some type of objective standard for Marie, then I have to make it up. And someone else is going to make up their own one. Um, you know, perhaps the person who was the, the, the perpetrator or the abuser, they have a different standard of morality than I do. So what do I go with? Do I go with society vote on morality? Does that make something right or wrong based on the day and the hour of the vote being cast? No, I think that some things are wrong all the time. Um, so, so how do I conclusion that there is evil in the world if I don't have a God to give me a standard or at least something that exists outside of humanity as a higher power to give me, to, to proclaim standard to me? Um, so that's the first question. Um, why is there so much evil if there is a God um, I would say there cannot be, we cannot even recognize evil or good without a God. Um, and then I guess my, my second, without a, without a God, how can there be good in the world? Why do we see love and compassion? Why do we see self-sacrifice? Um, if, if I've evolved simply to into genetics, uh, why would I be willing to, to give a wealth, to donate, uh, to help others? Uh, why would altruism? Um, that can't be explained by survival uh, or even a, a need for, um, for, for passing on my genes or anything like that. Um, so I think that we need something beyond what is natural if we are to recognize good and evil things that are both very powerful to the human experience. Hmm. I mean, I, f I feel like that sort of partially answers my question, but I, I do get that like, hmm, we're, we're having God as a standard for good and without him, neither exists. Um, I, I believe that my question lies around, hmm, why, if the overall goal is salvation of souls, would you have a God that creates a universe where a good chunk of souls do not end up being saved if he does indeed love everyone as much as he says that he does? Yep, question. Um, and uh, Christianity is split on this. Um, I mean, there's in camps. I'm not going to go deep into it because I don't think that's what we want to do today. Sure. <laughs> I don't think like that either, honestly. Uh, there's the reformed position, which um, is not necessarily hold, but um, their position is more on the lines of God is good. He does what he needs. He does what he does for his glory. Um, and we will not grab, and that's okay. We don't need to. Um, but ultimately, he does it for his glory. Um, I, I'm representing it well. Not necessarily my position. I should, not necessarily. It isn't. Um, the other position would be... Um, a more of a free will position um, in terms of God created everything good. He created us to love him in fellowship with him and with each other to have this community. But in order for love to be, you have to be able to know. It has to be, uh, there has to be the, the option. Um, you have to be able to give consent to love someone. If I am forced to love God, it ain't love. Um, so, so God allowed us to sin. That would be us basically rejecting God and saying, nope, I'm going to love something else. Um, now, biblically, whenever we sin, it works against us, either immediately or in the long run. 
Um, and what I would say is what, what explains evil and suffering? Um, I'd say sin does. Um, humans decided to mess up the world by rejecting what God wanted us to do. Um, this was Genesis 3, and we see this and beyond. Um, now, this doesn't mean that whenever something goes wrong, whenever someone suffers, it's because they sinned. Um, no, we now live in what's called a fallen world, a world that's been broken by sin. So everything's messed up. Uh, my sexual desires are messed up. My body is messed up. My mind, I get wrong. I forget things. Um, temper, I got all sorts of things I work on now because I live in a sinful world and I'm a sinful person. Um, so I would say the answer um, I would give is God created everything perfect um, and an opportunity to reject we wanted to do our own thing. So now we bear the blame of sin. Um, and the whole point of Jesus coming was to come on a rescue mission to save us from this sin, um, to sacrifice himself so that we can know God again. Sin separates us from God and ultimately Jesus paid that cost himself so that we can actually come back to God without having to pay for the sin. Uh, so that would be his and grace of the gospel. Hmm. Mm. So, I mean, what, one way I, I really think about it is what best explains what we see. Um, we see in us um, a desire for things to be different, that this is. Um, we also see that we are rather unable to, to affect lasting change. We try, we can do small things, but ultimately I don't think we really believe humanity is gonna be able to, to come out on top in this. Um, some will disagree with me, I know you might actually, um, but ultimately I think we have a, a, we develop a cynicism that, you know what, people are scum and uh, you know, the best person is still gonna mess it up. Um, but we see a world that shouldn't be like it is. Why, why shouldn't it be like that? Do we have for that? Well, no, it's because it feels bad. But we also see hopes of, of redemption, little glimmers um, of, a, of something different from beyond this world, I think, when we see kindness, when we see love, when we see joy. Uh, I think the Bible explains all of this. It explains why we are so repulsed by blatant evil, why we long for something that we, we can't hold on and keep in this world. So that would be that'd be my my long answer to your good question. Yeah, uh, and I appreciate the patience with which you're addressing this. I, I believe that these are challenging questions to receive in general. And on the topic of religion and faith, I believe that they're even more challenging. Um, I think those answers make sense on a certain level. And And my goal isn't to be convinced of of this particular belief set, but just seeing how like, hmm, how one goes through the structure of religion and while maintaining that, while, while being aware of that um, apparent paradox, like how does that become justified? And yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I really, at the end of the day, I think there are like, especially with, with suffering and evil, I think there are some things that I know I'm never gonna sort out and I'm just gonna have to wait till I, and hang out with God in heaven and be like, okay, God, like, that was really lame. What was going on there? <laughs> I got that. Well, I think, 
I think, of course, there are always going to be more questions. And um, I, I do actually want to want to take a second to bring it back to the original thing that I derailed it from, which is um, if if we were to take a look at how you believe the church is currently reacting to um, gay youths or gay individuals, um, is there anything that you feel would be a beneficial change to how things are generally handled? Or, or do you feel like there are areas that deserve to be highlighted in terms of how things are handled? Yeah, great question in terms of what I think could be better. Um, I think I think there's, there's two. So I, I find myself sort of straddling the line between two camps, uh, between a, a strongly conservative camp of we, we must be biblically faithful, uh, but lacking the nuance of how do I love someone who wants to do something that I don't want to do? Um, and, it, you know, we all, we all have sexual desires that are harmful for us if we follow through on them. Um, all of us, it's a, we're, we are all subject to that. So I, I, in one sense, there's the, there's the more conservative camp that has more of a blanket combination and will say things like homosexuality is a sin. I think it's a terrible way to put it. Um, I think that is a, incorrect statement. Um, I don't think anyone is held accountable for what they want to do. Um, so I think that there needs to be a distinction between uh, desires I have and who I am as a person and what I decide to do in my life. Um, so I think that's the, that is an issue that conservative camp has. I think it lacks nuance and I think it lacks experience in actual dialogue with people. Um, but I think there is also the more progressive side um, which has room to grow as well, where um, there is a desire for compassion and for love. Um, and that desire has led to, um, as best I can tell, and they're, they're free to disagree with me on this. This is a, this is an in-family discussion. Um, as best as I can tell, um, the, the faithfulness to scriptural marriage has been compromised um, out of a desire to be helpful to be relevant to society, to show the love of Jesus. Uh, but the love of Jesus will never bring me to celebrate something that breaks God's heart, which would be um, people deciding to go into sin together. Um, so I think, I think uh, both sides have areas to, to grow in. And I have often found myself, um, I think called out, and you know, things that I've learned from those has, have been helpful too. But I, was, I definitely felt called out by both sides. And I definitely also have felt the need to speak into both of those sides as well. Uh, my hope, my hope is that the church will be what God wants it to be, which is a fellowship of believers who are all different because our differences are what make us um, powerful and strong and meaningful. Uh, believers who are different, who are willing to bear each other's burdens and not just say, hey, you stop sinning, but hey, you're part of my family and what can I do to, to love you well right now? Um, a place where everyone knows that they're already accepted, so they don't have to pretend, uh, pretend about who they are, how they feel, what they want. Or rather they can say, hey, here's, here's how my week has been, here's what's good, and here's what's been really hard for me. Can you pray for me without condemning me? Mm. That's what I want to see. And then a church that's not afraid to also say, well, because I love you and I want your life to go well, um, here's, here is what God does say about this. And I'm already glad you're here. And if you do this quickly, I'm still glad you're here. 
Like all of those things need to be in place because all those things are what God has asked us to do. Got it. Thanks for um, thanks for taking the risk of sharing those things. I imagine that this is a particularly sticky subject within the church, and it's certainly sticky outside. There's so much room for discussion. There's a lot of areas where people don't see eye to eye on this. And while I don't adhere to those particular sets of beliefs, I'm also not part of the body of Christians, so there's very little contribution that I have, no sway that I have there, and no reason for me to get involved in that the semantics of what I believe versus what you believe. So yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do appreciate you, you know, letting me chat about this. Um, if I could have an, another minute, I'd like to, to drop a couple of resources uh, for anyone who, who has felt burned by Christianity, but you know, uh, would like to, to figure out your faith um, and you, 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 you know, noticed or discovered or come to realize that you, uh, would self-identify as not straight. Um, there are some fantastic resources that I just wanted to, to show you that you are not by yourself in this struggle. Um, I think maybe my favorite one right now, I actually just, uh, I've, been, I've been going through this one of my groups, um, Single Gay Christian, though the book is called Single Gay Christian by Gregory Coles. Really good guy. Um, and he, he basically grew up a conservative in a conservative church uh, discovered he was gay, tried to figure out what to do. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful story. Uh, it's lighthearted. It's humorous. It's real. It'll, you know, have you laughing and then punch you in the gut. Uh, very good. Single Gay Christian by Greg Coles. Um, second book, Washed and Waiting by Wesley Hill. This one is more of a reflective uh, intellectual approach. Uh, Washed and Waiting by Gregory Hill. And this one, I think, if you are struggling with a heartache, um, the rejection and even the loneliness. Um, I would recommend this one as a starting point of of seeing that you are not alone in this, and um, maybe bringing other people along. Um, washed and waiting, um, and then the third one was uh, out of a far country, um, and this is for someone who uh, this is by uh, Christopher Yuan. He's a he's an Asian American author. He's a professor now, actually. Um, and he's someone who came sort of from a different perspective, um, who lived on the party scene. Um, he, he was active in uh, the gay bars and such, which, you know, the gay bars, there's no like singular movement, but he was, you know, he, he, he lived it up and found Jesus and tried to figure out what to do next. Um, and it's a, it's a great story of his journey. So I would recommend those three. Um, and then for, for straight folks in the church who are wanting to better understand this, um, I wouldn't recommend anyone more than Preston Sprinkle. This guy is fantastic. I've had, I've had multiple conversations with him. Um, Dr. Preston Sprinkle has written multiple books on this. Um, but uh, so I recommend just checking out his YouTube channel because he's constantly pumping out interviews with, uh, with non-straight folks and or non-binary folks. Um, and he, he addresses it from a very balanced perspective of being biblical yet being compassionate. Um, and his probably the, the best book I'd recommend is called People to Be Loved. People to Be. I'll throw those resources out there if you're searching, if you want some answers. Um, I wish I could say go to your pastor, but they might handle you well, and that's not your fault. It's not your fault. Um, so I want to put these as a starting point. Hmm. And for those of you listening right now, I've taken notes on all these things, and um, by the time you're listening to this, they will be in the description 
in of the podcast uh and i'll try and get the amazon links here too so that you'll have easier access to those and uh yeah i i want to say that overall i i'm grateful for what you uh, i mean what, what i'm anticipating that you're bringing to the table which i would categorize as like a more compassionate christianity one that is still willing to stand by what it believes in without going down the road of condemnation or hate. Uh, there's room for empathy and understanding and dialogue about things, even if there is disagreement. And I think that it's not just a Christianity thing. I think all, all sides would benefit from engaging in complex topics like this with the same level of poise and willingness to explore that you have. So I appreciate this conversation and that you showed up for it. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. And, you know, I do hope to keep learning, to keep, you know, hearing people's stories, to keep engaging with them, um, opportunities to, to hear them, to cry with them, to love them, to celebrate them. Um, so it's, it's not a, I, I, ha I don't have it all figured out yet. And I'm hoping to continue to, to learn and to grow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, <laughs> I resonate with that. And yeah, love you, man. It was great having you on. And is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? I think that was great. Thanks, Rob. Love you too, dude. And I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Appreciate you, dude. And yeah, that's about the time that we have for today. Thank you for listening in and getting all the way to the end here. Uh, if you got something out of this, please like or subscribe or rate. Check out the books down in the description below if you feel that these speak to you. And of course, you can check us out next week, Thursday, 8 a.m. Pacific time.